U.S. social policy history is really continuing history of reform and reaction. It really is this kind of like a uh, few steps forward, a few steps backwards, and maybe in the long rhythm of time, you're moving forward. We have these kind of uh, regressive periods where we really do uh, turn the clock back, fortunately return to some past ways of thinking and doing. Uh, and, they, you know, they, they're, they're never fully gone, right? They're always... Uh, there's always some tinge of nativism that's out there. Few issues burn hotter on the worldwide stage today than immigration. In May, President Trump instituted a zero-tolerance policy for anyone arriving at the southern border, and today many immigrant children who were taken from their parents there have yet to be reunited. It's rattling Europe as well. Italians recently elected a coalition government formed by two anti-establishment parties who share a common dislike of immigrants. But beyond the headlines, Gregory Acevedo, an associate professor at Fordham's Graduate School of Social Service, says there is real human misery that we have a moral responsibility to address. I'm Patrick Verrill, and this is Fordham News. What is the Immigrant Behavioral Health Roundtable Project, and why is it so important these days? Uh, the project's being organized by the uh, New York Immigration Coalition. Uh, they invited me uh, because of the work that I've done in terms of uh, immigrant and refugees um, and their mental health and social service needs. Um, they've become concerned that uh, with the Trump administration's current policies uh, that it's having a negative impact on the behavioral and mental health of immigrant communities in New York City and elsewhere, of course. And so it involves um, uh, people from uh, government, uh, healthcare providers, uh, researchers, advocacy and community-based organizations, and the actual community members themselves. And the goal really is to uh, develop uh, long-term policy recommendations for how to uh, increase access uh, to behavioral health for immigrants um, in response to the current crisis, but also with a long-term view uh, that, you know, after this crisis is gone, um, trying to improve, really, uh, behavioral health care access for immigrants, period. It's important because behavioral health is such a critical component of well-being for any person, non-migrant or migrant alike. Um, for example, you know, behavioral health affects our physical health, our relationships, our job performance. Um, and so migration inherently involves stress. Even a legal migrant, you know, coming with all their papers, well-resourced, there's going to be some degree of stress. For any migrant, the context of the reception that they receive is a powerful determinant of how they're able to cope with that stress. Um, and I think unwelcoming contexts heighten the risk of behavioral health problems occurring. And we're certainly in a current context that's pretty unwelcoming. A key aspect of the debate happening in the country is the distinction between immigrants who come here legally and those who come here illegally. From a mental health perspective, do you see any distinction between these two? Yes. Um, insofar as illegality involves uh, a higher level of, let's say, uh, risk and uncertainty, um, the fact that it heightens anxiety and insecurity, the fact that kind of living on the run, as it were, uh, involves additional stressors than those that are already part of the stress involved in migration. I think uh, there's definitely a difference between um, 
you know, an illegal journey, an illegal journey. I think it's for a health care provider or a mental health care provider, the issue is to be attuned to the fact that um, illegality brings with it, if you will, a certain level of um, uh, being guarded. Uh, clients or patients might not be as forthcoming or open about their experience, about their um, feelings, about um, their wants, their needs. I think that kind of guarded um, uh, uh, response is rational, but it may appear to somebody who isn't taking that into account as something that's, you know, in the old, uh, old parlance, I guess, a resistance. So I think you have to understand uh, it from the point of view of someone who is has an illegal status and the way that it changes their uh, their behavior really when it comes to your ethical responsibility to offer care i imagine that there is no distinction though. oh of course yeah i think you know clearly morally i don't find a distinction uh, it, it's a technical issue first of all legally um, it's a, an issue that's important in terms of understanding as i said earlier people's behavior um, but I'm very clear about my, um, you know, you're here to serve everyone, right? So it's the idea that um, you don't make those distinctions. And then clearly from a human rights framework, which I think is, is very important, those aren't distinctions that have any validity when it comes to receiving treatment. Now, anti-immigrant sentiment is not a new phenomenon in this country, of course. Are there any lessons from the past that you incorporate into your work? You know, I teach courses on, on advocacy and policy practice, and um, I use the example, actually, of the Immigration and Nationality Act of 1965, because it really offers a great lesson on time, if you will. Um, that act actually undid uh, the racialized national origins quota system that we had in place since the early 1900s. Uh, in U.S. Uh, immigration policy. It took decades of political effort uh, and social cultural change uh, to really undo a deeply entrenched nativism uh, that informed that national origins quota system that we had. Um, and so when I teach uh, course content on policy and advocacy work, I always emphasize the long view and the importance of the long view. Uh, there's a sentiment that was expressed centuries ago by Rabbi Tarfin, and now share with my students. It's not your responsibility to finish the work of perfecting the world, but you are not free to desist, desist from it either. Um, so, you know, the idea is that um, you're probably not going to see that change that you're looking for immediately, maybe even in your lifetime but that uh, that shouldn't lead to cynicism, pessimism, or walking away from the work. You have to stay in that work for the long term. The thing that keeps coming up is this notion of the fear of the other. And it's something that is, like I said, it's not new. We experienced before, and it seemed like we sort of got a little over it. Now we're right back where we started, it seems like. Yeah. Any, any idea why? One of my favorite folks, scholars in this area, when he writes about actually um, uh, the history of the war on poverty and there's this big debate you know the war on poverty was a success was it a failure etc and i think he reframes it in an important way where he says you know history u.s social policy history is really uh, a continuing history of reform and reaction it really is this kind of like a few steps forward a few steps backwards and maybe in the long rhythm of time you're moving forward um, but we truly, you know, we have these kind of uh, regressive periods where we really do uh, turn the clock back. 
uh, and unfortunately return to some past ways of thinking and doing. Uh, and they, you know, they they're, they're never fully gone, right? They're always. Uh, there's always some tinge of nativism that's out there. And then um, global events and other events and national uh, kinds of, of currents change and it sparks up and it's back again. Um, and, and you could say this about almost any major policy issue in U.S. history. Uh, there's a quote I use a lot in class. I think it was Carl Deutsch uh, from the Harvard School, uh, Kennedy School of, of Government. Uh, and he talked about how uh, U.S. Uh, social welfare policy history follows the random walk of a drunkard. <laughs> right? Yeah, and they think they're moving forward, but they're stumbling from side to side. Sometimes they're even moving backwards. They might fall on their face. They have to get back up again. So it is. It's one of those um, times when I think we're taking a, a great step backwards, unfortunately. When you talk about the work that you're doing, how much of that is discussed, this notion that okay, we take two steps forward on this issue, but sometimes we take one step back. I mean, I think it's almost natural that that topic comes up, uh, and it's based really on a generational point of view. You know, if you've been around a while, you've seen these things before. Uh, many of my students are younger. They weren't even born during the Reagan years, and yet uh, I see many parallels uh, between the Trump administration and the Reagan administration. I think that it's just naturally in the minds of many folks uh, who do this kind of work. It's that idea that um, we're still working on Dr. King's dream. You really have to be vigilant. This work has to be ongoing because uh, it's so easy to slip back and um, you know, go back to an earlier period.